Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Hello. Good morning, I'm, Allison. How are you? I'm well, and yourself? Good. I'm excited to be here with you. Oh, and I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> <laughs> Finding God in poetry is something that I feel I consider personally often, but rarely have a chance to discuss. So I'm excited that we were invited to do this. Um, and I know that a lot of the people listening will be interested in hearing about how a person becomes a poet. And so I thought maybe, you know, you could talk a little bit about how you became a poet and how poetry has been connected to your faith. You know, Allison, thank you. Uh... It goes way back uh, to the time I was uh, a, a, a young, in my teenager, and it goes back also to the uh, to the mass. It goes back to the uh, Latin mass for me in the in the early days. Uh, the relationship between uh, the search for God, for meaning in life, and what poetry could possibly do. Uh, in terms of making that uh, that bridge uh, closer for me. Uh, I've always been interested in history, philosophy, literature, etc. But uh, at the heart of it has been poetry. Um, I think that uh, when I was in the, uh, what the, I was in a kind of proto-seminary for a year up in Beacon, New York. And uh, I wrote, I think, my first poem it was a sonnet based on the Passion of Christ. And I won first prize, which was $10. So <laughs> that's <laughs> early that encouragement. Buy a rosary <laughs> for my mother. That was the beginning. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I went to college at Manhattan College uh, and took a very good class with a, a, a poet named John Fandel. Uh, it went on, but I think Allison that the uh, the, the the real beginnings uh, are in fact linked again to my faith. Uh, I was uh, I was I saw myself as a prof you know a teacher of poetry. I was teaching classes in uh, uh, modern poetry uh, at at. Uh, well, at Colgate, but then uh, really at the University of Massachusetts at the time. And I made it what they call a crescio. And uh, I was asked to be the rector. I was honored to be the rector. And I remember it was a three-day uh, intensive uh, uh, bonding with about 40 men. And uh, at the end of it, uh, I remember we went into the little tiny uh, room where they had the blessed sacrament and uh, i remember uh, a voice uh, you know i heard something inside my head say paul asked for something and i said no i don't need any i mean you've i'm just glad to be here and he said uh, the voice again said ask for something i said well if it if it's okay what i would like to be as a poet I would like to write poetry. That's what I said. I would like to write poems. And uh, 
within the next six months, I had written an entire volume of poems, my first one, Timing Devices. That's how it began back in the late 70s. And it continued. Uh, so I, here I am writing poetry. I'm also writing biographies. I'm writing, you know, reviews, essays, etc. all of that. But that was the beginning. So for me, it's always been a link uh, between uh, the spiritual and, and the poetic. Even when the poems don't seem to be spiritual, there's still that sense of the eye, the gaze of God uh, looking, at, looking at me, watching me, helping me. So that's, uh, that's just where I come from. That's what I do, yeah. I feel like growing up in um, some sort of Catholic tradition reminds a person that they're existing in two worlds, on the ground and then in a spiritual plane. In My own journey was much less <laughs> profound in many ways. I grew up in Gettysburg, as I know you know. And so for me, I went to Catholic school and all of our field trips were to Civil War sites. So the nuns would bring us to civil war sites. And I have this very vivid memory of one year specifically in first grade um, when our, my teacher, Sister Alfreda, um, she had told us fairly recently about the story of St. Maria Goretti, who was this young child um, whose father had died. I think both of her parents maybe had died, but Anyhow, she had to live in this small apartment complex in my memory with another family. And let's just say, you know, things got hairy for her and she um, she was in danger of being murdered, which ultimately she was. And yes. as she knew that this was coming, she sat on the set of stairs um, mending the socks or mending the shirt, I think it was, of, of the person who was going to kill her. And this, you know, I was in first grade. <laughs> so first of all, the stories of martyrdom are already pretty intense. But within this, uh, the next few days, we went to visit the Jenny Wade house in Gettysburg. And Sister Alfreda told us to put our fingers through the bullet holes that went through the door. Jenny Wade being um, one of the only civilians who was killed during the Battle of Gettysburg because she came up from the cellar to bake bread for her family and for the soldiers and, and a bullet came through the kitchen door. So we would go visit this door and put our fingers through the hole. Now, of course, it's blocked with glass. To me, these things were very combined. This idea of, you know, representation and you know jenny wade wasn't just jenny wade but she was all of the citizens in gettysburg and saint maria garetti wasn't just herself she was representing something so i feel like i couldn't escape in a way before i even knew what a poem was i feel like i couldn't escape the idea of metaphor um you mentioned mass in latin and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that i know um myself when i think of mass in latin i think of um john keats saying that good poetry proves itself upon the pulses that you can understand something or take in the music of it before you even comprehend it and i was wondering especially for listeners who have experienced mass in latin if you could talk a little bit more about what attending a mass in Latin means to you? Yes, uh, I uh, not only did I uh, have to, you know, as a boy, uh, learn all the uh, phrases, you know, all the 
responses in Latin. That was one thing. Adeum quilitificat juventutum meum. That's how it began, you know, uh, quoting one of the Psalms. And et cum spiritatuo, et cetera. And uh, it just, the, the music of the Latin uh, just, uh, oh boy, it was, it went so deep. It was, I mean, he, here you have a, re, uh, you know, call and response. Priest says something, the altar boy, you know, responds for the, for the, for the community. Uh, so, and then I also took seven years of Latin uh, in both in high school uh, and then uh, through college along with Greek. Those, that was the language that I, I took. And I think that the Latin um, has been very important in terms of my own vocabulary, in terms of the words that get into, uh, into, my, into my poetry. Uh, that's one side, I would say, the, the Latin side. The other side would be the William Carlos Williams side. That would be the, uh, uh, the Native, the, uh, the Native American, uh, the, how shall I put it, the, in the American grain, um, the language of New Jersey, for example, <laughs> the language of New York City. The Patterson. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, how you get that is, so there would be a kind of a, a play back and forth, just as there was the play between the priest and the altar boy, there would be the play between the Anglo-Saxon, if you will, the language of the new world, plus the whole tradition going back to Homer, going back to Virgil, going back to Dante, all of that meshing together, you know, swimming. I mean, you, I, I know you know what I'm talking about, Alison, in terms of the, I mean, the metaphors that you use, that, that, that kind of molecular movement, uh, uh, that the music, that uh, philosophy, uh, uh, no other no other language can do it for me like poetry can do it okay yeah yeah i love the way you put that and i know that one of the inspirations behind our being invited to talk about this was um to consider poetry in sacred texts and especially in the bible so um you know the bible itself is filled with poetry which people often forget thinking of it as a set of instructions perhaps so i was wondering you know what you think of in terms of the poems and the poetry of the bible are there favorite poems essentially that you have uh, from the Bible or what is it that poetry in the Bible can do and can communicate that a prose piece cannot? Yes. Uh, for me, every single day, Allison, my wife and I spend time reading the, uh, reading the uh, readings for that day's mass. Every day we do this in the morning, okay, along with the meditation. You spend it, it takes about 20, 25 minutes to do it in the morning, okay? The, uh, the, uh, I, I don't want to lose the, uh, the grip here. The, uh, the Bible, the, the Psalms, I keep coming back, back and back to the Psalms. I read them every day and the music of them and the repetitions, and I can even see the chorus line, I can see a kind of dance moving back this way and then moving this way. Uh, the, the Psalms are very important, okay? Uh, a second thing though that, uh, 
there's the Song of Songs. There's, uh, but I think, I mean, so much of the of the Bible is is written, even if it's put down on the page like prose, it still reads like poetry. Okay, and I'm sure that well, of course, given the Hebrew, uh, that was that was the case that it was poetry. The other thing is the uh, when uh, when Christ speaks his parables, like the prodigal son, for example. Uh, he sounds like a poet. For me, what he's doing is so much more than just uh, dictating or, or, or giving commands. Uh, there's just so much poetry in the way that the, the stories unfold, the sowers, uh, you know, uh, 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 sowing the fields. Uh, 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 the angel Gabriel, uh, uh, things like the Hail Mary. I mean, I, uh, the Our Father. These are these are incredibly poetic uh, statements. So I keep going back. I think to those as well. Uh, those are some. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes what I encounter with my students who have been taught poetry in a certain kind of way or have been taught the Bible in a certain kind of way. I think to, to, um, to people who are coming at it through the lens of a very um, restrictive reading, like we have to read this passage in order to dissect it and take it apart and, and, and teach ourselves, you know, all of the symbols and so on and so forth. I feel like the Bible as poetry can feel kind of exclusive, but you mentioned the prodigal son. To me, one of the reasons the Bible is poetry is has not anything to do necessarily with form or with music, even though I also agree with you that it does, but with counterintuitive thinking <laughs> and paradoxes. I remember struggling mightily with the story of the prodigal son and understand trying to understand how this was fair at all, you know. Um, and, and My father just, used to say the same thing, Allison. You know, it really, as a younger sister, I think, you know, I wondered, <coughs> excuse me. So it was not necessarily lines, but also the, the last shall be first and the first, you know, all these paradoxes that lead us to transcendence, I find a real kinship between them in the Bible and in religious teachings, the great religious teachings, and in poetry. One phrase that's often associated with Robert Frost is honest duplicity. Of course, duplicity is something we usually think of as a bad thing. You know, to, something can't be itself and its opposite at the same time. You can't love something and hate something at the same time or be afraid of it and also be drawn to it. But of course, in reality, of course you can. <laughs> of course we can love something and fear it at the same time, etc. And so this idea of honest duplicity is something that I see insisted upon again and again in poetry and in the Bible. And, you know, I, I thought, are, are there, when you think of the Catholic intellectual tradition, what about moving outside of the Bible to other poets who write about faith, whether from inside Catholicism or outside of it? What, which poets come to mind as ones that have provoked your understanding of faith? Uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, uh, I know Frost is one of your favorites, and uh, I find a uh, uh, just the, the poem that you asked me to look at, uh, A Peck of Gold, uh, did that for me very much. 
the uh, I've done six biographies uh, William Carlos Williams uh, who uh, wrote though I am though I'm no Catholic okay but it's very interesting to watch him as he approaches uh, questions like when he has a, a breakdown and he writes a poem to the Blessed Mother, for example, uh, trying to, you know, looking for some kind of help. Or John Berryman, uh, who goes from really uh, breaks away. He was an altar boy, broke away from it all. But at the end, you see him coming back, trying desperately after, you know, the breakdowns with his marriages and then the breakdowns with alcoholism and then being put in the locked wards, coming back with the 11 addresses to the Lord. I find that fascinating. What about someone like uh, Hart Crane, for example? Uh, gay, New York, 1920s, the roaring boy. Uh, uh, even in, in the major poems of the bridge, he keeps coming back to two figures. One is the Native American Pocahontas. The other is the Blessed Mother. The Blessed Virgin, and it keeps coming back to it. He needs this strong mother uh, uh, symbol, image. Uh, what about someone like Wallace Stevens, who in Sunday morning back in 1913, 1914, uh, pretty much says that uh, the only emperor is the emperor of ice cream, for example. Uh, you know, where he says, you know, enjoy what you can while you can, because you're going to die. Okay. As he gets older, he says, well, let me rethink that one. Okay. <laughs> and so you find him going back uh, to Santayana, for example, the philosopher Santayana, who, who had been his teacher at Harvard. And when Santayana passes, when he dies, Stephen's uh, recreating that scene. Uh, in Rome, where Santayana died, uh, and wondering, you know, what is the possibility of transcendence, you know, of, of something more, something more, you know, in our lives that meaningful. So I find that all the poets that I've done, all six of them, and of course, Father Hopkins, uh, who is a model for me, really, obviously, but uh, all of them, it's always that, you know, there's a search. They need something more. What it is, they may not know, but it's a mystery. But they go after it. They keep coming with their poems, coming back to it and coming back to it. And that's what I find uh, so fascinating. I find that also true. Someone I wish I had written a biography, Flannery O'Connor. Uh, you know, so she's incredible uh, with what she does. Um, a good man is hard to find, for example, the grandmother uh, facing death uh, and then reaching out to the person who has just killed her family. I just find just pushing the, as you say, Allison, pushing the envelope uh, that, that, that complex, quote, duplicity that you spoke of. Yeah, that it's there every time I write, you know, when I write, and I know you do this, Allison, it's, there's this, but, but there's also this, you know, and then the mesh between them and that, you know, how do you, if not reconcile them, how do at least do you, how do you place them on the page so that the mind can see the alternatives and then make its choice or however one, 
uh, decides to uh, quote resolve it if if that's the way. probably not even a resolution just at least it's there uh, uh, I, I mean for example in a peck of gold uh, where the children are taught that you know oh that's that's gold that they're eating out there and it's just dust and then and besides, do you eat gold? I mean, uh, you know, uh, I remember there was one emperor who was, they forced gold, molten gold on his throat. I mean, it didn't help, you know. <laughs> so I feel like that would not encourage a kind of benign response. <laughs> as, as a method, it might be sort of strident. <laughs> but I, you and I talked previously about um, mass and the repetition involved in mass and sacramental practices as being an invitation to revisioning something, you know, to reconsidering something. And I love that idea of repetition and incantation as a kind of catalyst toward inquiry. I mean, part of the Catholic intellectual tradition is faith as a catalyst for inquiry. And it seems like part of what you're describing here is that in uh, visiting something and in raising questions about it, one is led toward more insight about faith, and in revisiting material, one is led toward more questions. Um, I love, to what you said, I love this, um, the poet, the contemporary poet Jericho Brown, who tried to describe um, a situation he had in encouraging a friend who was a jazz musician to read more poetry. And so he gave the friend some poetry, and the, the, the friend said, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, I believe you that it's good, but I don't get it. And so Jericho Brown said, well, when you listen to Thelonious Monk, the first time you don't understand it or try to sort of cogitate, you know, you just say, I dig it. I like it. And then you move on. And then as he says, the next time you listen, you say, I still like it, but I noticed something else. And then you come back a third time and you say, oh, I noticed something else. And you begin to accumulate this enhanced understanding, this deeper knowledge of sort of what it is. And I, when I read that, I was thinking about how you said that mass itself and a kind of repetitive um, sacramental practice can bring that kind of new knowledge, which I thought was really interesting. Wow. Very well put, Allison. Yes. Credit to Jericho it. Brown <laughs> for that. <laughs> Well, uh, yes, I mean, Jer I, that's brilliant what Jericho Brown says there. You hear the music, you hear Thelonious Monk, you, you, something about it, you keep coming back to it. Each time you come back to it, just as with a poem. I mean, how many times, you know, how many times you read the same poem and it gets deeper and deeper, something new. And, you know, I was just thinking, for example, Mass, there's, we've just been through, you know, we're through COVID time here, right? And you think every single Sunday when I when my wife and I go to mass, how you hear the homilies and you you know and you hear uh, young people saying boring you know it's uh, <laughs> you know but listen to what they're saying listen just if you could just pay attention uh, which is what I think the act of love is just pay attention and see how deeper and deeper it can go. Uh, and then of course, you, you're a different person each week. You've had, you had needs last week that, you know, in the, by midweek they were solved or you went on beyond them. 
So now you've got no other issues. And, and that's going to continue right up until the end. There are going to be issues all the way along the line. You had issues when you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. So, uh, you know, it's, it, you know it, it's, it's, it's like I will be married, my wife and I, nearly 60 years, okay? 60 years. So it never grows old to say, I love you. Never. It never grows old every single day and i i wake up and i say my god she's still here you know I've, and i'm still here <laughs> and it's pay attention you know just be thankful for what you have you know there, there's there are a thousand blessings out there one of you know one of the old rabbinical sayings is you know a thousand blessings every day so just but you have to be aware of them I look out the window there, and there are these uh, warblers uh, and gold, you know, these gold-colored birds right outside the window, and they're looping, flying up and down, and it's, wow, look at that. Or, you know, I'm out in the garden, you know, just working with, with my, my flowers, and I look at, the, look at this dahlia, look at, look at the deep purples, and then how they get lighter and lighter. I mean, I couldn't even paint that. And there it is for nothing right in front of me. So I think- Like, a, like some sort of, you know, cosmic gift. <laughs> yes, exactly. A cosmic, thank you, Alice. That's you no, know, I, I came across this story about the poet Ossip Mandelstam, who the, the last, probably the last poem he wrote, though he might've written poems later that day, the last day before he was transferred to Siberia, and essentially never heard from again. Stalin seemed pretty intimidated by his wild interrogation of faith. But Ossip Mandelstam, in his last poem, and this is in a translation from Christian Wyman, he said something very similar to what you're saying, Paul. In his poem, he says, And I was alive in the blizzard of the blossoming pear. Myself I stood in the storm of the bird cherry tree. It was all leaf-like and star shower, unerring self-shattering power and it was all aimed at me wow, wow. and you think yeah. this person who is about to be transferred to a work camp in siberia never to write again at least on paper is experiencing the the thrill of this gift and the magic and the mystery of you know the kind of creation of the world and i just find that inspiring a word that i feel like is shunned often today but just really mystifying um you know in terms of you know what it reflects about his faith and his ability to see through the challenges that you were describing wow yes that is beautiful uh there it is uh he's he's going off to siberia and, and those are his last lines that we have Yes, that, and what a gift, what a gift for the rest of us, you know, we, if, you know, we go through our own uh, downturns, and a poem like that can lift us up, it's a gift to us all these years later, and that's what, that's another thing that poetry uh, can do for us, yeah. Well, in your book, you say, and here, I've got a quote here, beauty and wonder are not mere accidents caught in the glimmer of light and darkness, but something more 
signs of God's presence, the mystery in and with and through the great design that has always been there, but has to be in stressed upon our mind and more upon our hearts. I was thinking a little bit about in the U and the American tradition of religion, how initially there was someone like the revivalist Jonathan Edwards who said, oh, in the rose bush, the thorns are Christ's passion and the rose is Christ's glory. And then you have the transcendentalists who say, no, we're all one and natural objects are the same as God and all of this stuff. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the writing process itself you know, writing in form or out of form, how the writing process itself leads you to this sense of beauty and wonder. So transitioning out of the thematic stuff and into the actual writing process and the act of creation. Yeah, boy, that is so true, Alison. You, you know, you look at the blank page before you and uh, you wait, then you write down the one line, and the line often surprises you. So it leads to a second line, and you're off somewhere. It's sort of like a deep prayer. Okay, now there's another line, and then and it's like a gift, Allison. I mean, you may have had the first line, but you didn't have the second, but it comes to you. Where's it coming from? And then a third line, and then and etc. Uh, Allison, uh, this new book that I've just, I, I just wrote this year that'll be coming out early next year, okay? First Light, Last. Uh, the a New Year's I, of, of this year, I promised myself with the COVID novel that I would write one line of poetry a day, one line, okay? And I kept to that. Now, what would happen is sometimes it was just one line if it was a down day. Other days it'd be two lines, and two lines led to four lines, four lines led to eight lines, the stands, et cetera. And it just kept growing and growing so that by May I had a book of 33 poems. It, you know, that's never really ever happened to me before. Now, of course, each morning I also said my, you know, prayers, Lord, you know, if it's your will, you know, help me with this. And uh, but it worked. Uh, how did it? I mean, I can't explain exactly how it worked, but it did work. One line leads to another, to another, and you're in a in a dialogue, and you're in it. You're you're in a different world, Allison. You know, it's not like the the uh, uh, you know uh, nine to five job. This is a special world. It's like the world of meditation. It's it's a deeper world, and somehow you you either unlock it or it unlocks you it unlocks you and you move from there but it works yeah. well i love this idea and i feel like it's a gift you've given us and everyone who's listening to think of you know incremental practice as something that leads to <laughs> A, a, an entire, you know, that leads to the whole, even if you just sort of take a step and keep, you know, thinking about something or writing a line that it can accumulate into something greater than itself. Um, I want to just ask you one final question before we go here. Um, and that is um, one poem that you would 
uh, leave everyone with to turn to when they are looking for some sort of sense of spiritual connection? Yes. It would be probably Father Hopkins, okay. It would be uh, something like uh, God's grandeur. My very favorite poem in the whole world, though, is, is uh, The Wind Hover. Uh, the Wind Hover sonnet. I caught this morning, morning's minion, kingdom of daylight's dolphin, dappled dawn drawn forth in, in his riding of the rolling level underneath him. It, is it, I mean, it's just, it just you can feel that you can feel the mimesis you can feel the the movement of the of the of the of, a, of the wind hover as the wind moves and it and it and it works with the spirit it works with the wind and then it leads to what it leads to the well uh, not just to the heights but it leads to the crucifixion and then the resurrection from the burnt embers as they flare up into fire again. I just, it's just a poem that's just touched me ever since I was 20 years old, yeah. Years ago, uh, not my own student, but in graduate school, a friend's student said to her about Emily Dickinson, ah. I, don't, I don't understand her here, and she touched her head, but I understand her here, and she touched not her heart, but her gut. <laughs> and I think Hopkins and that poem is such a great example of um, a way that people can sort of get in touch with a kind of indwelling, you know, spiritual response to poetry. Paul Mariani, I can't thank you enough for talking with me about finding God in poetry, and I hope people will go out and find poetry in their days today, just like you and I do every day. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for your own spirit and your own and your own work so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Okay. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>